So that is the secret meaning behind Vampire Survivors. Oh. Oh. Right? Okay, yeah, well, now it makes a lot of sense. Exactly. I wouldn't have assumed before this that it was so genital-specific, but, like, I'm, I'm glad to know that there's that many dicks important in, in, in it all. I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, when I finally finished writing the compendium, the, the, the law bible for Vampire Survivors, I did sit back and think, you know what? That's almost too many penises. Almost, <laughs> but not quite. <laughs> not quite. That's, I mean, in any writing endeavour... I always think it's important to brush up to the penis line, but never cross it. Yeah. Don't cross the penis line. Uh, that's my <laughs> advice to any young aspiring writers. Uh, always have genitals. Always. No matter what you're writing, whether it's uh, Game of Thrones or Teletubbies, always have genitals. But no, don't have too many. You have to walk a very, very careful balance atop the genital line. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And, and the main problem with the genital line is there's no hard and fast rule. No. You've got to feel it out. Mm-hmm. 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 Is this going to be a, you know, a very lengthy engagement with the general line is it going to be you know perhaps a little bit shorter how much you know wiggle room do you really have right how wide is that line i mean i i've been told it's actually the width of the line that matters more than the length of it yes but i, I don't know if that's true that is also what i tell myself <laughs> my phone's unmuted who dares bother me in the background uh laura it's laura telling us that that her PC fucked up. And... Oh no! <laughs> oh no! All right. We've been left unmonitored. Oh, oh, dicks! <laughs> so many dicks. So many. I, and I and I hear you're offering to suck them. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many people took that seriously, but I got messages. I... <laughs> For those who don't know about that, I opened this past week's Jimquisition episode advertising the Patreon, just saying if if you give me money on it, I'll suck your dick. Not in it necessarily in exchange for the money. I just love sucking dicks. Yeah, I mean we should be we should be fair. You know, uh, this is not payment in any way for said services no. of dick sucking. There's no purchase required. No. Anyone can enter. Yeah, it's not a purchase agreement. It's an excuse. <laughs> Uh, a pretext, if you will. Right. It, it just gives me because as an as as a writer, as as a as a law writer, uh, I always feel it's important to have a reason for something to be done. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's it. It's the flimsy reason uh, for me to indulge my uh, dick sucking slutitude. And you know what won't be flimsy? What's that? That dick. Oh, you're you're one hundred percent absolutely right. <laughs> my my esteemed compare. Uh, not flimsy at all, uh, quite rigid, um, due to uh, uh, an excess of blood flow in the area, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. stimulating the genital region, uh, creating uh, what we in the scientific community call a massive bonk-on. Um, so the point of all this is to say uh, that I have announced that I am writing uh, for Vampire Survivors. Mm -hmm. uh, this was the reason why past couple of weeks I've been quiet about the game uh, whenever it's come up because, you know, I, I didn't want to approach it as a critic um, when I knew that I was uh, contributing to the game itself. Rest assured, I still think the game's fucking brilliant. But yes, I am writing official content that's going to be in the game. Basically, like, lore and story stuff. And it's going to be interesting. 
Uh, I've, I've got all sorts of ideas that I've spoken with uh, over with Luca and uh, the rest of the team. Uh, they really like what I've come up with, and I really like what, where they're going with it. I think people are going to really enjoy what, what we've got to come there. Uh, but yeah, uh, that, that was some awesome news I, I got to share that, uh, this week, uh, was that I am writing for a video game, and it is one of the best games of the year, and one of my sort of new favourite games ever. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, very excited about that. Very exciting news. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It really is. Technical difficulties. We were really well behaved the whole time you were gone. Yeah, we, we, we talked about dicks the whole time. Uh, right. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, it is such exciting news. I'm so, I'm so happy that you can finally talk about this. Thank you. Yeah, like like when I jokingly suggested I would sort of write bestiary entries for the monsters uh, in Vampire Survivors and promised to dedicate a lot of time to talking about the milk elemental enemies. <laughs> you know, I didn't I I was not like realistically expecting an email from the team to be all like, yeah, but do you wanna? Uh so yeah, yeah, I, it's very cool. Very cool. Um, and now I can talk about vampire survivors again. That was the hard bit, was biting my tongue on the podcast uh, when you all were talking about it because I, I didn't want to until it was announced. Um, so I could sort of agree with you all that, yes, yes, it is still fucking brilliant. No, when you tell us it's a good game now, we're all going to think you're lying. No, yeah. Neither me or Comrade will believe you that vampire survivors is good anymore. No. That's true. Yeah. Uh, once you start writing, like contributing to a game of, in an official capacity, uh, everything you say about it is a lie and the opposite. So if I say it's good now, it must be bad because I'm lying because ethics. I'm unethical. Yeah. Is the thing. Uh, I will do anything for money or for the opportunity to fuck your dick. Uh, so yes, that's big news. Also, I guess while while we're uh, before we get into the business of the day, that is to say, video games. Uh, one last quick uh, reminder that we have a wrestling show coming up this weekend. Uh, this isn't just uh, one of my ordinary bookings. This is a show I booked myself and Phoenix. Put this together. We've got Laura coming down uh, to run the stream and actually provide commentary for the event. Yeah, yeah. Alongside Simon Miller. Uh, so that's going to be fucking awesome. Oh, am I allowed to say that now? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like we've not officially announced what Simon's doing. Like Simon will be like he'll have some stuff in front of the audience. He came to us quite late while we like so we've got all the matches booked. So he hasn't got a match per se, but he'll have some stuff out in front of the crowd. And we have him on board as uh, commentary for this first event as well, alongside Laura. Yeah. This is uh, Spectrum Wrestling. Uh, myself and Phoenix co-founded it. Uh, our first event is called Rejoice. It's in Sheffield at the PPW facility at the Southbank Warehouse. Uh, that is September 24th. Uh, bell time is 7pm. Um, we're saying it's going on till 11, but we're not going to go that long because the trains out of Sheffield stop around that time. Uh, it's just a buffer. We're hoping to be done comfortably before then. I'm going to be fighting. I've got a match against uh, current PCW champion Priscilla, Queen of the Ring. I've got some all new unseen wrestling moves I'm going to be busting out. I think it's going to be a great match. We've got uh, Man Like Doris, one of the hot hottest talents in the UK, going up against Axel the Clown, uh, one of the local performers who I 
just I just love um, him and his manager slash tag partner Freaky Felicia, uh, the Freak Show. Uh, they've just got a great gimmick. We got loads of great gimmicks. UK wrestling doesn't have enough of it, but we've got Killer Clowns. Uh, we've got Gentleman Jim in a Tea Party Death Match with Axel Strife. We've got gimmicks. We've got those. By the way, thanks again, Craig. We have got a couple of Tory twats booked. The Landed Gentry. It's, it's just fucking fantastic. We got other big names. Gene Money, Gia Adams, Mercedes Blaze. Um, just just top-notch talent up and down the board. It's going to be streamed um, with the stream pre-show starting at 6.30. This is all UK times. Uh, at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. That's Saturday, the 24th of September. Spectrum Wrestling's Rejoice. And yeah, this time next week, I will be able to let you know how well it went. I'm certainly hoping it went well. I'm a little nervous, but... I know it's a good show. I completely trust the talent, and I honestly think I'm a fucking good booker. I think I've put together, uh, between me and Fee, we've put together, like, some amazing matches. So, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be good. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. So, who's played a video game this week that they want to say thoughts and opinions they have on? I should hope all of us. Yeah. That's the central conceit of the first half of the podcast. We've all played some games. Well, I mean, in theory, I try and do it, but this week has been a lot. That's true. Uh, <laughs> there, is, there, there is a lot going on. Um, Actually, what? You, you have played some, haven't you, Laura? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've played some. you played some, Conrad's played some. Uh, Laura! Yeah, me! Would you like to tell me about some games? Sure. So this past weekend, I played through two old video games in order to start playing a new one. And I've not had much time with the new one, but I'll get to that in a bit. So I really want to play the new one, but it's been years since I played the old ones. I want to play the new one, too. Well, I only played one of the old ones. Yeah, so here's here's the thing. I've 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 I spent the last weekend playing the special editions or the remakes or whatever they were, the the nice modernized versions of the first two Monkey Island games. Mm-hmm. Monkey Island. Yeah, Secret of Monkey Island and Monkey Island 2 LeChuck's Revenge. So, mm-hmm. uh for anyone who's never played these, they're both early 90s point and click adventure games about a wannabe pirate having various comedic misadventures that involve a Ghost pirate. Yeah. Guybrush Threepwood, although the um, Ed at 2am on ITV video game review show Cybernet, uh, which was big in the 90s, uh, called him Guybrush Threepweed. I mean, maybe that's a deliberate joke because I think the game several times has people call him the wrong name. Oh, yeah, no, because nobody ever has so- any respect for Guybrush, yeah. but I, I mean, I, I, I feel like you're underselling it. Well, I'm, I mean, I was building into it, you know. Like this is this is one of the best examples of you know early '90s adventure game design. Yeah, and here's the thing: going back and replaying the remade versions of of those first two games. Are they '80s? Are they late '80s? Uh, I believe the the first Monkey Island is 1990. All right, yeah. Uh, Monkey Island Two is shortly after, but yeah. Both of them hold up really well with a couple of like minor exceptions, and I think the first one holds up better than the second in some regards, and I'll talk a little bit about why. So the first Monkey Island, great like point-and-click adventure game in terms of good pacing, not too much moon logic, which for anyone who doesn't know that term is rub 
chicken on on pulley to make thing to cross wire like nonsense logic they're things that you would never have considered to do on your own that doesn't make any sort of logical sense within the framework that you exist in or that the game seems to exist in yes and and there's not too much of that in the first monkey island um i think that the humor largely still lands pretty well the comedic pacing is pretty good the only real quibble i have with the original monkey island going back to it now is there's a couple of places where it's like, oh yeah, this is a thing that was made nearly 30 years ago, and there are definitely some vestiges of a group of probably all British white men, or like English-speaking white men, made some kind of, a little, a little kind of gross assumptions about non-white people in a couple of places, and there's a couple of places that you go, oh, that hasn't aged terribly great. That, that 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 really deals with that's really leans on some stereotypes a little bit there. Now, I I would also it's also fair to say that they are already also existing within a a literary milieu that was also very much that way. Uh, these are Americans, um, for you know. Uh, yeah, but, sorry. Yeah. Yes, I, I I yeah. But that colonial spirit exists. Let's not. I don't de- I don't deny that's the case, but also. Playing them today, yep. there is a, a particularly like uh, jumping to Monkey Island Two for a second. There is a costume shop to get like fancy dress outfits in the second one. There's a couple of really fucking yikes outfits in that second one. Yeah, and that's it, it's not to defend it, but I yeah. do think it it also helps contextualize it because it, it it in that time and place, it's just so easy to ignore the potential implications that you're laying down there with these and just fall back on trope. I don't think it's deliberate malice, but there is definitely a lack of awareness of the tropes they were leaning on yep. that has definitely aged worse than the 90, 95-99% of the rest of the game. Yeah, Largely, I think those games hold up really well. The second of the two, LeChuck's Revenge... That one has some bullshit. That, look, it's a good. It is a good game. If it's a good game, if you play it the way I did, which was having my wife Jane, who knows that game inside and out, next to me to go. Okay, this bullshit thing. Don't even worry about it. Let me just tell you the solution to the bullshit. I have two points of contention with the with the second game in that series. First of all, a monkey is not a wrench. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, no. And second. That that game has at least two or three times where it does a thing that like I fucking hate in point and clicks, where you do the correct solution and it fails, and you're expected to do the thing that failed two, three, four more times, and then it will do it differently. I'm specifically thinking of here a Rube Goldberg machine where the solution is to spit on a thing and it'll ricochet in a certain way. But the first three or four times you spit on the thing, it doesn't ricochet where you need it to. And that the assumption I had was, okay, that's not the correct solution to the puzzle then. No, you just had to do it a few more times. I think that they'd really figured out how much money could be made on hint books after the rubber chicken. Yeah. I mean, the second game has a joke about calling the hint line and about yep. how expensive calling the hint line is, which 
honestly feels kind of uh-huh. oh really you get really you're gonna do that in a game where you've done this are you yeah mm, this uh-huh. is like like modern video games that make fun of like microtransactions when they have them yeah like that that the whole thing of we're going to point out it's funny that we did the shitty thing that's shitty and point and click adventure games like i like them i but i never really play them <laughs> i i I used to like playing them as a kid. There's something very cozy about a good point and click, yeah. but I find them far too... I wouldn't play one without like a, a walkthrough next to me anymore. I would like to go back and replay the old Monkey Islands, but I'm going to have a fucking walkthrough because I do not have the time or the patience for bullshit, and those games are full of bullshit. I agree with you for the first two, but like this is when I then get to the new one, Return to Monkey Island, that's just come out, and a few things about that. It is kind of a sequel to Monkey Island 2, but also doesn't erase the existence of the other Monkey Island games. For anyone who has played Monkey Island 2, that game had an ending that was quite a wild implication to make, and this game kind of sets off from that point and does some some kind of cute things about it. So if, if you're somebody who like doesn't have the Monkey Island games firmly in your head but has played them in the past and just wants a refresher, this game has a really nice little here's um here is Guybrush Threepwood's little illustrated journal, and you can go through game by game and get a little summary of what happened and click on icons for things and get a little reminder of what that was about. And it's a fairly short way to get a summary of all the games done in voice acting that's kinda sweet. In terms of talking about um, hint system, this game has a built-in hint system. It has a hint book built into it in the narrative. Thank you. That allows you to go. Okay, I'm stuck on this thing. Here is a basic, very vague hint. Would you like to get more specific? Here is a slightly more specific hint. Do you need us to get more specific? There you go. And you can get degrees of hint per problem. That That's how it used to work in the old Sierra games that you would get. Yes. With, where you'd have the... the um, uh, I had one for King's Quest 2 where it came with a, a marker that you had to, you know, run over the, the little box of text that contained the answer that you wanted. And they got more specific as you went along. And so, you, yeah. 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 So it's got one of those that's built into the narrative. I really appreciate it. And the game is, is very directly about, like... There is no penalty for using it. We would encourage you to try and solve the puzzles before you check it, because, you know, that might diminish the experience if you just check it all the time straight away. But it's always here, and there is zero penalty for asking for clues that get more specific on the problem you're stuck on. That's really nice. I'm pretty early in this game still. I have not had as much time as I would like with it, and I've been playing it through the first time on the basic difficulty. You can play it through with... Uh, on a harder difficulty with more puzzles and more moon moon logic bullshit steps added. But I've been playing it on, like, the simple, not-too-complicated version. And I've been really enjoying Return to Monkey Island. I hadn't been sure about the art style when I'd seen it in trailers initially. In practice, it really works. It's very endearing. It's pretty charming. I really like narratively what it's doing. And this is going to be a weird thing to to compare it to. It feels kind of thematically similar to something like the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, in that it feels like it is a narrative about the people who made the game coming back to a thing they made many years ago and wrestling with the knowledge of how do we try and recapture what made what we used to do great. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, simultaneously being a story about an older guy brush Threepwood trying to recapture his glory days, and about the ways that the world changes around you, and that trying to grasp onto exactly what made you great in the past won't work forever. No, I'm going to get all my subscribers back. (laughs) 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 So... It's really sweet, honestly, so far. It has been it has been funny. The premise is very well thought through. There have been a lot of efforts made to to deal with a lot of the complaints I had about the first two playing them this weekend. Mm-hmm. Like going back to um locations from the first couple of games, uh, at the start of this new one, the Caribbean is no longer entirely populated by old white men, for example. There is some diversity of characters found in the area now. But, like, there is an acknowledgement within the text of the narrative of things need to change with the times, and that expecting everything to be exactly as it was 30 years ago isn't good for anyone. And I've been very much enjoying that while still having a fun Guybrush Threepwood be a silly pirate adventure. Uh, sounds kind of woke to me. <laughs> the the other thing I wanted to note for this, it has surprisingly good controller support for a point and click. Good. Which is like of, of positive note. That's a fucking rarity. Yeah, so the way it works is left analog stick walks your character around in, in the scene. Right analog stick will flick between clickable things in a scene. And once you're highlighted over one of them, your face buttons will be various verb interactions with that item, or one button is dedicated to the inventory and you just press A to pick a thing, use the right stick to navigate to what you want to use it on. It works pretty well. So yeah, it's it's nice to have a good controller scheme for a point and click. I need to put more time into this. I wanted to play more of it before recording today, but work kind of caught up on top of me. But uh, yeah, so far, I really am digging what they're doing with the new one. Nice. Yeah. Well, what about what about both of you? Have either of you played anything you want to talk about? Do you want to go, Conrad, or do you want me to go? Uh, I could go. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I have, uh, now that I am able to play my time at Sandrock without excruciating load times, I did start digging into that a bit more this week. And it is really, really, really good. Just if if you're not familiar with the series, this is the second game um, following on from my time at Portia. And it's a it's a village sim, I guess I'd call it, where you are a, a builder. Think of it like a, a harvest moon, but... F- the farming's not what you're doing. You are m- building machines and equipment to improve the quality of life for people in a community. So it's a lot of gathering resources, then refining those resources to make uh, new equipment to give you access to new resources and on and on. It, it's kind of satisfactory. But in a, in a fantasy setting, it's a really good expansion of uh, an improvement and refinement of ideas present in my time at Porsche. Everything is more efficient in how it's managed. Like, uh, you know, all of your inventory in boxes 
is collectively drawn upon for use in building and resources in any of your machinery or when you're constructing something on your platform. Uh, it just takes from you. You don't have to have it in your inventory anymore. There's no messing around with organization outside of what you want to do in order to keep track of what you have for your benefit, which is just so nice. There's a lot of content, even in its early access state. Now, I think at this point, I am dipping into what came in in the September update in terms of new content. And, you know, I've I've really, I put a fair bit of time into it, but I think I'm starting to catch up with it. Uh, but there's, it's still very dense. There's uh, sort of a an ongoing stream of things to do and and running sub quests for characters to take on uh there's fishing there is farming you know as you would expect water being something a resource that is a little more precious that you have to manage a bit more is neat i, I don't i haven't found it to be much of an impediment at any point it's not that water is plentiful but it's not expensive to the point where I'm having to concern myself with being able to afford water to keep my machines going with the things that I'm producing. It's really fun. It's very simple. The writing is good. The accessibility of the UI is improved over what was already pretty solid in Porsche, I felt. Another thing that I really like that they've done is uh, mining is an activity that you'll do to get resources. And there's a couple of different types of ruins to explore. And the abandoned ones are where you'll go in with a pickaxe and just sort of hack around and get resources. In my time at Porsche, these tended to be just big, empty, vacant spaces with wall material of different coloration to indicate the resources that you would get from hacking through them. Here, they have taken the approach of making more procedurally generated stages of different rooms of an of an office building of some kind that you are uh, cutting your way through and there will be rubble obscuring access to doors so you'll enter into a room and have to dig around to find the exit to the next room and the next going along getting uh relics and finding um actual resources on the ground to mine as you go it, it's it feels a lot more engaging even if it is fundamentally not very different from what you were doing before so i like that a lot the combat is still a secondary concern it does what it needs to do and not much more uh thankfully you don't have to do a lot of it but it works just fine for what it is, everything that is secondary works just fine. And and a lot of the overall writing story, it's very political in, in some interesting, fun ways. One aspect of the setting in Sandrock that really differs from my time at Portia, as I'd said earlier, is the environmental aspect of this game being much more important, being in a desert, water is a... a important necessary commodity and uh there's a, a history in this locale 
of resources being discovered here, a mad rush for the exploitation of those resources occurring, and it destroying the local ecology ecosystem and community Mm. that I find compelling. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So there's a, a lot going on. In, in my time at Sandrock, uh, it, it's definitely a, a my kind of game in terms of, you know, logistics organization and uh, optimization. I will not deny that, but it's a very good example of one of those with some pretty good writing and uh, some neat characters and just a, a decent chill time. Great music. Uh, that's it's one of those ones that's not a problem for me to accidentally leave running in the background of my computer for days hmm. because the yeah. pause music is just so chill <laughs> yeah yeah it's real good I'm, I'm liking it nice uh what about you steph what about me i have played uh like a few games this week the main one i guess i could say i've been playing is a game called thymesia I think it's called Thymesia, Thymesia, something like that. Mm. I've seen a lot of people talking about this game. I know Casey Explosion is a big fan of it. When I did my Jim Pressions video on um, Steel Rising, a lot of people brought it up um, as something worth checking out. I've done that. I certainly like the aesthetic. Uh, you are like some plague doctor kind of um, character who um, steals weapons from enemies. Uh, if you charge up a special attack and hit them with it, then you pull a version of their weapon out of themselves, like out uh, whatever the enemy's holding. Um, that's a neat little gimmick, uh, constantly sort of attacking enemies and pulling a copy of their weapon to uh, use back at them. That's neat. It's very Souls-like in its uh, map design and the whole death mechanic. We've all fucking seen these games now. We know what that's like. For as much as everyone's been praising it, I wish I liked it more. I really do. I can't get to I can't quite get to grips with it. It gives you a lot of stuff to play with, um, as well as your regular um, just sort of sword swinging attacks. You've got what I said with the the special attack, which is this claw, so you can pull out what they call plague weapons, which are the enemy weapons, and you can unlock versions of those weapons to have one that you're always carrying and can use at any time by spending energy, as well as having a slot for ones you steal on the fly. You can throw feathers to interrupt. Um, usually unblockable enemy attacks uh, and there's a parry system and all of it like I can see how all of it works with someone who can get their fucking head around it I don't like how the game feels to play the dodging feels stodgy and weird the parrying like the parrying and the weapon stealing both of them in fact anything the game does to give you a special ability just feels like it's set up to get you in trouble because there's no iframes with any of it mm. and enemy attacks just do not get interrupted just like never uh so i guess there's timing that could be used for this but even things like doing execution attacks on on enemies which you have to do if you're using regular attacks it will automatically do it any other enemy around will get free hits the parrying just seems like a troll to me because enemies usually hit with like one attack or a short combo and it's really badly te- telegraphed as to what they might be doing. And there are some enemies that like almost always do one attack but might have a, a one-two combo. But 
They rarely do it. Unless it's when I fucking parry, then they seem to have done it all the time. Because like I said, enemy attacks don't get interrupted, even if you parry them. I, I don't know why, but every time I, I've given up parrying because I just feel like it gets me into more trouble than it's worth. I'll parry and they'll just keep attacking. And you can keep hammering the parry button to do a slashy slashy, and I think that's what the game wants. But when I can't, when I don't feel like I've got ad adequate telegraphing from enemy attacks, I'm not gonna like keep hammering the parry button, hoping I'm getting a long string of combos. It's just, it, in my opinion, it, it's very poorly um, telegraphed to the player. Enemy tracking, uh, as well as their ability to power through attacks, just makes it just, just unpleasant for me to play. And I really want to like it, but I don't. Uh, fair play to everyone who does, it's a very popular game, but I'm just not finding a comfortable flow. It's just not clicking for you. No. Yeah. Maybe if someone who like was an expert at the game sat down with me and spent like an hour explaining what I'm doing wrong, I'd get it. But like, there are some bits that are cool, like the actual, the character and the combat at a base level is all solid. Uh, I like the feather thing. Uh, being able to interrupt uh, enemy uh, special attacks at any range by flinging this feather is really quick and responsive. I really like that. But right now I'm at like, uh, I've fought a couple bosses, but I'm at like the first proper big, like hard boss. And he just, he's relentless. He's just constantly hitting me with, with endless attacks that have like almost one-to-one -one tracking for when I'm trying to dodge. The dodging itself already being really in inadequate, uh, barely gets you round an enemy to avoid being here. Uh, so I just, I've just given up for now because I'm at this sort of first major hitting point and I'm not finding it fun to, to try and power through it, um, which is a shame. Because visually, it's a very interesting game. Obviously, it's got all this sort of Plague Doctory aesthetic to it, which is my kind of thing. I like the leveling system. Uh, when you level up, you get a skill point that will either go into your regular attack, your health, or your claw attack. And then you get a talent point. And there's a multitude of skill trees involving deflecting, parrying, dodging, attacking with the claw or the sword, the feather. Like everything has its own upgrade tree. And you can respect the, your talents at any time so you're constantly being uh, encouraged to experiment you can put all your points in parrying if that's what you want or put all your points in dodging to make that better or just spread the talents around and if you don't like what you've done just go straight back in and respec so i do feel like despite how much i'm struggling with a lot of the um, defensive mechanics I feel like the game's set up in such a way that you don't have to rely on any of them. So if you're not good at parrying, uh, like I'm not even good at parrying in, in games that do it a lot better, never mind this game. Yeah. Uh, so I try and avoid it where possible. But I feel like you don't have to parry if you don't want to because you can put talents in everything else. I'm not entirely sure. All I know is I tried I fucking tried to get parrying down and I just couldn't do it. Um, even at the most basic level, I don't feel like the, the enemy attacks are, are well telegraphed to say nothing of when they suddenly do combos that they can power out, or, like they, they can power through your parry to hit with. Mm. 
I had a similar experience. I'll just get through just quickly two other games I played that gave me very similar vibes this week. Um, a demo came out for Team Ninja's new game, uh, Wolong Fallen Dynasty. Oh, yeah. Now, I thought it was like a zombie dynasty warriors. Which sounds cool as fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that interested me. It's another Souls-like gang. Oh. It's just another one. Okay. But very similar to Thymesia, I, it's, it's very Neo-ish. Mm-hmm. In that there's a lot of loot drops and stuff, and um, it's it's certainly got well. It's it's set actually in the same time period that Dynasty Warriors is usually set in, which again sort of had my interest because I love Three Kingdoms era China um, historically. Um, so it's like the demo had, takes place seemingly during the Yellow Turban Rebellion, um, which was sort of a big kickoff historic moment for that period. Uh, it's in it's like the first level of like almost every Dynasty Warriors game. But very similar to Thymusia, I'm just not digging the way parrying and dodging works. It just doesn't feel adequate. And as far as like enemy aggression, like these fuckers do not stop. They they just will come at you and deal massive amounts of damage out of nowhere. After playing the demo, I was like, I'm not buying this. I'm I, that's convinced me to not get it. But I did find out that it's coming to Game Pass on day one, so I might persevere a bit because very much like Thymesia, like I want to like it. I like Souls likes. I like Three Kingdoms era China. I tend to like Team Ninja games, but very similar to to Thymesia, it just it, it mechanically feels unpleasant to me. It just doesn't quite hit the way I want it to. And I just don't feel like I'm getting to grips with, again, very like Thymusia, dodging feels fucking worthless. It's just bad dodging. And I prefer to dodge over over parrying, um, which this game seems to really want you to do. So, there. Another game, it's a, it's a roguelike card game, um, not a Souls-like, but also gave me sort of similar dissatisfaction with its difficulty uh it's called ring of pain it's on game pass and i'd had my eye on it for a while and finally downloaded it it's a very fast paced card game there is a ring of cards that circle round and at the front of the circle you'll see two cards and you can choose to interact with either one of them and then once you've dealt with it the next card in the ring will um cycle through some of them are monster cards, some of them are doors to get to the next level, uh, some of them are potions or treasure, and it's super quick. Like, a monster card comes up, you hit attack, you will deal damage, they'll deal damage to you, speed will determine who goes first, then there's some defense levels to go through, like, like everyone has like a certain defense value. And attacks are like regular attacks and then piercing attacks that will ignore the defense. Really straightforward. You will just press I, the results will happen, and then it will move on. Really quick. Visually, like, like the art style is really cool. Monsters are sort of very scratchily designed. Uh, very stylized, um, sort of pop arty kind of thing. God, it's random. Yeah. There's an achievement for dying within 30 seconds and it knows you'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, st- it's so harsh is, is, is the main problem. It's so fucking harsh. Enemies deal massive amounts of damage immediately from the beginning. There are enemies that explode on death or chase you and explode. And explosion damage is massive. And there's some tactical element to it in that you have a stealth value and you can try and sneak past that card to get to the next one. And there's a percentage chance of you doing that. 
or if there's like an item, like a non-combat card uh, next to a combat card and you don't want that combat, you can scroll past that card to basically spin the entire ring of cards around to push that monster out of your way. Uh, so if there is an, uh, an enemy that's going to explode the next turn and there's also a like a door ne- on, on the card next to it, if you cycle past the door to move it so the door's on the other uh, where that monster was and it pushes the monster card behind it then it'll explode and hopefully deal damage to any monster cards it might be next to so there is some cool strategic stuff when you've got the option to strategize otherwise you're poddling along thinking you're doing well then suddenly something will turn up and kill you in one hit And it just, death comes so fast because everything deals massive amounts of damage. Some of the damage just seems completely unavoidable and and, and it's just not fun. It's just not fun. I want it to be. If they'd have lowered the damage value somewhat or, or just made it so it's not so random because no matter how well you're doing, one poor placement, like, like one unfavorable placement of cards will just fuck you. There's just so much damage coming at you, and I don't seem to be able to power up fast enough to mitigate it. Mm. It focuses very heavily on getting treasure and killing enemies to get currency off them to spend on opening treasure chests or buying items, and to the point where like the stat that increases your um, currency drops is the most important stat in the game, bar none. But I just can't survive long enough to spend money. I can't. Nothing powers me up quick enough to deal with how quickly that game gets fucking hard. I mean, it already, it starts fucking hard. But then I don't even know if I want to call it difficulty when the regular basic enemies can kill you in a couple hits. And, like, you can be down to, like, one hit away from death after the first level. And then you better hope that you get some health. I could see what they're going for. Like, if they'd have tweaked the values a bit, then I could see how, like, constantly having you close to death would be really tense. And every level does give you at least one potion to get health back. But the balance is just off to the point where it feels... I very rarely feel like death was my fault. And I hate that in a game where... No, it wasn't my fault. I just had no option but to die. And that's a shame. Yeah. So that that's basically three games I played this week. The the difficulty curve put me off, and I really wanted to like all three of them, and had a pretty bad time with them. Unfortunately, that's a real shame. Yeah. Uh, should, should I jump on another one I've played? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so not a not a huge amount to say about this one because I talked about it last week, but I finished playing through Wayward Strand, mm-hmm. which was that game about being a little fourteen year old having a bunch of conversations with old people in a care home, and I finished playing through it. The game is pretty short, and I think that is to its benefit. A playthrough of this can probably be done in, like, four to five hours. Like, each in-game day is maybe an hour to an hour and a half. There's three of them in total. And I maintain everything I said last week, that the quality of the writing and the voice acting and the presentation is superb. They've done a really good job of making the handful of characters to interact with all feel very distinct all have different quirks about the ways you need to converse with them to get them to open up. The kind of wants and needs they have are all very varied. And I think that 
having such a limited amount of time to get to know these characters and then whether you're ready or not, it's done and and you have to walk away, I think works thematically. I think it works in terms of keeping a playthrough short so that there is incentive to play it through again and to go have conversations with other people. I think one thing this game does really well is the third of its three in-game days will drop a lot of hard-to-miss clues as to, hey, that character you didn't make time to spend time with, here's something that's clearly been going on with them for a few days that you're catching the tail end of. Isn't that interesting? Maybe next time you play it, go find out what that's about. Like, it does a good job of, like, toward the end, dropping little breadcrumbs as to why it might be interesting to go find out what other characters had going on. There were characters I managed to entirely not encounter, and I don't know how I managed that, and I'm intrigued by it. But yeah, coming coming away from that game, having finished it, it's really sweet. It's kind of heavy in some places, but in places where it has definitely earned emotionally being heavy. I think that it manages to avoid... to avoid feeling cheap when it tries to go for its serious moments. I think that start to finish, the game does a really good job of handling its non-verbal character, and in particular I want to give some really good praise to how good of a job they did of modelling healthy and respectful ways of interacting with a, with a non-verbal person and making sure that that's done in a non-patronising, supportive way, which is really lovely, and... Yeah, this game is not going to be for everyone. It's a four or five hour game about having conversations and sitting quietly and wondering if people will open up because you stayed quiet for a bit. And that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but it's really sweet. And some of the best written, like, natural communication that feels like honest attempts at dialogue between young and old people that I think I've ever seen in a game. It's... It's not going to be everyone's jam, but I really enjoyed it. Well, what's the upgrade system like? Well, uh, if you put all of your, your um, dialogue points into a single character, you might be able to unlock their loyalty mission, where they show you what's inside the box they received awesome, from their grandkid. Awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. you gotta, you you got to get the loyalty points really high up to find out about the, uh, the projector Excellent. with the slides in it, for example, you know. Now, looking at screenshots, I'm curious to know if there's a cover system. Weirdly enough, kind of. Oh, <laughs> there is a system by which if some if people are having a conversation in a room and you want to be a fourteen year old spying on a conversation, invading their privacy, you can kind of take cover on the edge of the door frame and like peel your, your head just a little bit around to to sneak a listen in on their conversation. Okay, I don't need to carry on the joke. Yeah, you can cover hang to either side of the door. Brilliant. <laughs> Oh, God, I could have then carried on the joke with, oh, what weapons are there? But you know what? There's a cover system. I'm happy with that. Done. Goof done. I mean, look, look, I managed to get a comb and a a handheld mirror into my inventory, and I suppose you could use either of those as a weapon if you tried. What have you played, comrade? (laughs) Uh, The only other thing I really played this week is um, you suck at parking. Oh, I... I saw this on Game Pass. I played some of this like a year ago. Yeah. I was tempted, but I, I watched the trailer and was like, you know what? That is just going to make me, uh, that is going to make me want to scream. Like like a year ago, I played a demo of this back at EGX, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. The 
premise is that you are presented with a stage um, uh, consisting of roads with gaps and ramps and various um, things that you can interact with um, that will affect the movement of your vehicle in a variety of ways. And you are trying to get from the start point to the various parking spaces located around the map and stop in them. Yes. Your car has an accelerator and you can uh, turn your car with like, like a steering wheel. Um, and it does have a brake. It, it does not have a reverse. No. And if at any point your vehicle comes to a complete stop, it is considered parked. And there it remains on the map until such time as you refresh the map entirely. This is an interesting idea and a lot of fun. I found the single player to be really, really enjoyable. The car controls very well. It would have to for the kind of precision that they demand of you in some of these instances. Because like, (laughs) there will be blocks that when you hit them, they give your car a speed boost, which is necessary to cross some gaps or, you know, just get across the map quickly enough in the limited amount of time you have. Your car also has a limited amount of fuel, so you can't just dither around endlessly. But your car can also take damage and explode. And so you have to consider the survivability of your car when doing these things. And then you get the fans that come in and is it easier to is it better to try and fight the flow of the fan or just let the fan take you to where it's going to go and go from there how do you get the the feel for landing coming off of something like that angle can be a bit of a tricky thing with some of these because the perspective is a fairly distant camera and you don't really have control of it nor should you under these circumstances because you've got enough you're fucking dealing with uh, but the the angle might not give you the best perception of what direction your car is going to be going to once it takes that jump, and you might miss you miss your target, and that's just the way it goes. It, and it it's fun, and the anal retentive perfectionist in me just restarts and restarts and restarts fresh over and over again. A lot of the stages will have. Not necessarily an order to which you want to park in the spaces, but there's definitely one you want to put last because there are just going to be cars flying over that spot. And if you park your car in a space and then something else happens that causes the car to no longer be in that space, it no longer counts for the purposes of victory, Mm. which is fun. I like that. I, I, I like it. It also has a multiplayer mode. Which normally I would not give a shit about, but I thought, what the hell, I'll try it. And I kind of like it too, because it has some of the same, same feel as Fall Guys in terms of the amount of direct interaction you're actually going to have with a lot of, with other players in a lot of these stages. Because the stages are fairly large. There are, options in terms of okay am i going to go for the distant ones first versus the closer ones first and as a result of that the players quickly become rather spread out across the map 
And because it's a multiplayer mode, it no longer requires your vehicle to stay on the parking space forever. You just park on it. Your car disappears because it doesn't want to be in the way of other players. Um, and it counts for, and you just never have to go back to that space again. So yeah, the effect is that you've got players all over the map and the amount of times that you're going to risk running into collisions or times when they interfere with your performance, it really turns it into more of a, uh, a time trial with, uh, ghosts that aren't ghosts that you might occasionally hit. Maybe. So it works on the scummier side. It's got a lot of cosmetics for sale yeah um and a system of unlocking and ranking and all that crap that's just kind of gross but that stuff aside it's a pretty compelling game for something that you know it, it's one of those what you do input wise is very minimal but precise you don't have a lot of controls to master but you do need to master them uh, and I like that. I find that aspect that aspect of it to be very, very satisfying. Um, and I, I think the multiplayer is pretty fun, too. Um, I'm not going to invest much time in it. I don't particularly care. Um, but it's neat. It's it, it, it's not a bad inclusion to the, the package. So, yeah, it's all right. Neat. It's all right. Who else has played something? You played anything else, Steph? Uh, yeah, yeah. So... I've struggled to do online multiplayer because I don't have any internet, which is sort of neat. You do kind of need that. You have uh, described my ideal gaming environment. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's certainly not been ideal for me, unfortunately. Um, although apparently Virgin are going to get off their fucking ass because some people turned up this week to start the work they said has been delayed because they couldn't finish it. But my phone has actually held up as a, as a heart part to play online. So I got some Splatoon 3 done. Can confirm it's still Splatoon. Yep. It's fine. Honestly, feels like I could have been playing any of the other two. But, you know, it's still fun. Um, also, Aliens Fireteam Elite had DLC Ooh. that I've been waiting to play. I've been really upset about not having internet because it came out around the time I lost it. Uh, but I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'll give it a go. And, and yeah, my phone's held up with it, so I've been able to enjoy Pathogen, which is the new DLC. It's three levels, three new stages, plus a whole bunch of uh, cosmetic shit. It's good. Yeah. It's more of it. It's more of that thing you like. Yeah. They've got, like, new xenomorphs that have been infected. There was this sort of sub-story with uh, some infection or other in the main game that mostly had little spiders that exploded in a big shower of milk um just milky spiders and the dlc expansion has milky xenomorphs like they got infected and then they're fighting the xenomorphs so sometimes you'll turn up and the xenomorphs will be fighting the infected versions and then you turn up and fight them both um it's pretty neat uh but for the most part it's more of the same there's prestige classes added now i would have liked some more expansions to the actual uh character classes like new items to play with there maybe in an improvement to so the medic, which is still the only class where you can actually run out of the um, special ability that everyone else just gets to keep using on cooldowns, uh, which I fucking hate because I usually play medic classes in games. But the medic in this is just if you run out of the resource, the, the healing beacon, then you just don't have an ability for the rest of the game, um, which sucks. But I'm happy to play more. 
Still surprised that, that people are still playing regularly enough that I can get into games with randoms, which is cool. So yeah, it's still like, for a game that is not good, it's still, after all this time, managed to completely absorb me. I usually drop off multiplayer games like a couple of weeks after I've played them. This game's been out for like a year or so now, and I'm still playing it. I rarely go back to a game once the DLC's out, but I bought this one and I'm, I'm glad to have a reason to, to get in and play more content. Um, I still find this game absurdly playable. Also can't confirm the characters' mouths still don't move when they talk, <laughs> which wouldn't be a problem, except the NPCs that talk to you, the camera zooms up to them to show an up-close character model, which, why do that? If you're not going to animate them talking, why highlight how little they're talking? It's fucking brilliant. Uh, game of the year. Uh, so yeah, uh, I've been playing a lot of that, and it is still really good. Yay. In a really bad way. Uh... Other than that, the only other game that I've started playing, and I've really not had as much time as I'd like to with, but I've started playing a game called The Outbound Ghost, which is on Steam right now, and it is, it definitely is an indie game that wants to be a Paper Mario, and it's a very good-looking indie Paper Mario, about a little ghost, and it seems like you're in a world where everyone died at once, and is ghosts, and everyone is very recently coming to terms with the fact that everyone's dead and is cute ghosts now. And maybe your job is going to be helping people to come to terms with the fact that they're dead and help them move on to the other side. But also, it's it's very definitely a Paper Mario with a combat system that largely focuses on doing the button press at the right time to do maximum damage with your attack. And different attacks have different patterns of when you need to hit them. I've not given it much time yet, other than I can say it plays nicely on the Steam Deck, it looks really pretty, and the the Paper Mario timing-based combat system works very satisfyingly, at least in its opening hour or so. So if you're intrigued by the game and like any of those were points of concern of will it get those things right, those things are right. I can't tell you if the overall game's much good, but I've been intrigued by it, and it's so far managed to clear the bar of, like, the things I needed it to be for me to not just put it right back down. So I'm intrigued, and I'll probably talk more about the the way uh, the, the outbound ghost next week. Mm. Comrade, you played anything else? Uh, no, that's pretty much it for me, I think. What about you, Steph? You played anything else? Uh, I, I briefly played a game before we started recording, so I need to play more of it, called Solstice. Um, with the soul bit spelt like soul, like a spooky thing in you that comes out when you die. Oh. I have not played a game that wishes so desperately it was a platinum game. Uh. It's incredible. Like, it's like a Bayonetta fan game. It's just a platinum game, like they, but not made by platinum. It's better than Babylon's Fall, I'll give it that. R.I.P. by the way. This isn't even the one I thought it was, but yeah, I know which one exactly you're talking about. Yeah. There have been two recently that have wanted to be Platinum Games, that have wanted to be Bayonettas. And yeah, in terms of visual style and aesthetic, like, it makes me think of, like, those low mid-tier Xbox 360 games that were, like, early in its run, like Bullet Witch or Vampire Rain. Just, it, it feels... Like it occupies that niche of non-mainstream Xbox 360 game that came out and nobody played. 
Combat-wise, it's fine. The blocking system is interesting in that you'll get a, a, a button prompt will appear when an enemy is about to attack and you press the button, sort of like an Arkham game or something like that. And the main character is accompanied by her sister, who's a ghost, who will automatically attack alongside you. So she's fighting and dealing damage. And if you press the, the, the counter button, um, what she'll do is she'll block that attack no matter where the enemy or you are. So you don't have to be facing the enemy or even near the enemy to counter it, because she'll do it. Mm. Which is interesting insofar as like you can block attacks anywhere, no matter where they're coming from, um, even at a distance, which is kind of cool. But also, it feels weird. It just feels weird to press a counter button and not visually or mechanically feel like I'm countering because someone else is doing it. So right now I'm I'm when I'm doing it, I'm struggling to feel like I'm successfully dodging, like blocking or countering. When I am, it's just there's very little in the way of audiovisual feedback because it's happening over there and not where I'm playing the game. I really like the idea. It's just it it feels a little off. Uh, the combat itself is fast-paced and neat, um, like like very straightforward, and and again, like just so desperately platinum. Combos are done similar with like strings of pressing the same button with different timings and pauses to produce different effects. There is a um, I've not unlocked it yet, but the description makes it basically the stinger from Devil May Cry where you press forward twice and an attack to just sort of lunge forwards. Mm. So then they're not trying to hide what they are. After every combat encounter, you get a ranking system, which does include a platinum rank. Like, that's how shameless it is. Like, if you hadn't have told me that it wasn't platinum that made it, I'd have thought they released a game that I hadn't heard of yet. And so far, it's, it's not, like, poor quality or anything. I've seen it get some shitty reviews, but I've heard that the game sort of outstays its welcome in that it starts off where you're like, oh, it's okay, it's a fair aping of a Platinum game, and then by the end of it, you're just like, this is just fucking boring now, this is just the same shit. So I'll see how it goes, but I, I'm sort of digging it. I'm not super wowed by it, and I'm mostly just amazed at how at how shameless it is, but I'll, I'll stick with it, and, and maybe I'll have more to say next week. Yeah. And that's about it from me. Well, I think that's everything we've all played then. So should we get on to some of the, the newsy bits? Yeah. Let's do that. So here's here's just a fun, short little news story um, about people who leak news about video games. And this, this one's just kind of a fun story. So recently, there has been a, a, a Twitter account that has popped up and has been leaking very accurate information about video game announcements and reveals. We don't talk about Ubisoft other than to slag them off here, but like this account accurately talked about like the next like three or four um Assassin's Creed games before they got announced in a big event. It talked a bunch about like Metal Hellsinger recently. It's talked about a bunch of I, I think it talked about the new Saints Row game before it was uh officially like reviews were out. And Here's where the story gets kind of fun. Jason Schreier and this Twitter account got into a bit of a fight because this this Twitter account started just like poking the bear with Jason Schreier, being like, "Ah, oh, you're a f- fucking idiot. You don't know anything about games. I'm saying things before you are." Oh, Haha. No. Which is not a th- smart move. Because no. Schreier spends like twenty minutes and goes, "Okay, I've already worked out who you are and how you're breaking embargo and why you should be in trouble." 
Turns out, this was just some YouTuber who'd been invited to preview events for all of these games, and was just breaking embargo. <laughs> was like, had signed NDAs to be like, yeah, I'll come to your press event and your preview event and find out about the game before it's announced, and then just ignoring the NDA and tweeting from a secondary account. And the reason it was so easy to catch him is because he accidentally responded to one of his, like, insider account tweets from his real account. And Shry was just like, oh yeah, okay, so you've replied as yourself from your other account, let's look. Oh, here's you saying you went to that preview event that the insider leaked, here's you saying you went to that event that the insider leaked. I can't prove it, but it sure looks like it's you. Which, yeah, that's, that's, that's a bad time when Shryer gets on your ca case and goes, hey, hey Ubisoft, for example, this person signed an agreement, and we can, I can point at them that they probably broke all your reveals. So, that person is having a bad day. The thing I wanted to bring this story up for, because the punchline here is what makes me laugh. The person has since admitted to breaking all of these NDAs for all the pre preview events he went to. And I'm, ju I'm just going to read a little quote from his, uh, his apology. I'm very sorry. It will never occur again. And I'm like, well, yeah, it will never occur again. No one's going to ever invite you to any of these events again. Yeah, you're not going to get invited. <laughs> I'm very ashamed and disappointed in myself. I'll be taking some time to reflect on my, my poor decisions, which will never occur again. Yeah, they fucking won't. You <laughs> you don't break NDAs you've signed. That's... that No. That's that. That's not good. Yeah, they're going to be having a bad day. Much like someone else is probably going to be having a bad day soon. We should probably ignore, talk about those Grand Theft Auto 6 leaks that happened this weekend, because... Yeah! Fucking hell. What's that? Wait, what? Oh, yeah, you know how to this? What? What's a what? Huh? What's a... Uh, for, look, no. for anyone who's listening to this, and this is where you get your gaming news... <laughs> God bless. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 90 plus videos, several of which were multiple minutes long of Grand Theft Auto 6 in-development footage leaked onto the internet this week. Yeah. We're talking, in some cases, like, three or four minute long uninterrupted clips of in-development builds of this game. Like, I don't know that any game has ever had a leak of this scale, of this scope. And for it to be Rockstar in particular is, you know, quite a big deal, because... They are a company that usually, like, is so protective about what gets out. You're seeing fucking screenshots for several months before you get a trailer. Like, they are very controlled on their messaging. And, yeah, this big leak dropped alongside a claim that the leaker had access to the source code for GTA 6 and might just put the source code of that game online. Understandably, the internet lost its collective shit. Oh, that, I, that that bit there that he got the source code, that led to, like, a whole bunch of scammers yep. then trying to sell these alleged, this alleged source code yeah. on the internet. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It was a mess. We had the initial stage, which was the people who don't know how game development works looking at it going, oh, this looks shit, this looks worse than GTA Five. this isn't real, because they don't know how games work. Then we got the guy who leaked the stuff waking up and doing a post online going, Oh, this went unexpectedly viral. <laughs> this went surprisingly viral. Poor people, people noticed this. Oh, nobody. <laughs> I was really legitimately surprised that anyone would care about Grand Theft Auto. I mean, <laughs> look. 
This much, <laughs> this on. much footage of a game this far out. Fuck it. Right? There is no. Uh, I don't see any world in which someone manages to get their hands on this and doesn't realise what they've got their hands on. So the leaker then. I'm not going to say he openly threatened extortion, but he sure sounded like he was doing so. Because in that post, he's like, "If you work for Rockstar, contact me from your Rockstar work email address." And we can talk about how to proceed. And it sure sounded like a, hey, contact me to be like, hey, what are you going to pay me to not just leak the source code? Kind of subtext. Well, now, we don't, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know that. We don't know what their intentions are. Like, we, you know, it, it could be that they were going to insist that Rockstar, you know, limit to a 40 hour work week for employees and give them four weeks of paid vacation annually three months of paternal health care you know, paternal care i would fucking love it if that if those were the threats being made <laughs> but <laughs> no so allegedly this ties into another story of a leak that happened this past week this person allegedly also hacked uber okay again i'm not uh, you're not giving me a lot of sympathetic targets no here's the thing i'm not saying that they, that <laughs> you should be sympathetic i'm i'm trying no, to paint no, no. a picture of how fucked this person is because yeah. uber has stated in a statement that the fbi is now involved in tracking down this individual oh no yeah flew too close to the sun i think that they would have been for the Grand Theft Auto thing too. Yeah, here's the thing. Uber and Rockstar in a week sure is painting a fucking target on your back, as is inviting people from one of those companies to contact you to discuss things further. And I suspect in this circumstance justice will be swift. They will very quickly identify and deal with this person. And the reason I think this is because this is a matter of protecting capital. See, if this were about white supremacists uh, or domestic terrorism in, in some form, uh, the FBI would uh, demonstrate the kind of competence we typically associate with them. Yeah. This is actually something in their purview. So, um, yeah. Yeah, this dude's fucked. Yeah, so that's a whole thing. One thing that kind of spiraled out of this that's been kind of interesting is cops are bad cops are bad sorry no yeah no never apologize for that comrade <laughs> but like a thing that spiraled out of this was a bunch of game developers this week have been sharing footage of the like early builds of their games from years before they were released to try and show the internet like hey this is how game development is, and try and contextualize that footage. And it's led to a bunch of really interesting unreleased development footage being officially shared by companies. Because there was one particularly stupid comment going around that was something to the effect of, graphics are the first thing that gets finished with a video game. It's going to look like this when it releases, because graphics are finished first. And a bunch of developers being like, no, that's... That's bullshit. Sensible people know that's bullshit. But here, look at some early ga footage of games and you can see how the graphics were different when they were finished. What do they think? What the, how do how do, how do you have graphics without a game to like drape them on? How do Do they think like they draw like they draw every individual frame as a still picture and put it together like a flip book. The, the understanding, like, the best I can guess at it is that their logic is probably, 
well, how can you do the physics for a car and the movement for a car if you don't have a car yet? So you've got to make the graphics of a car, and then you can make the car move, and you can make the car crack. You can make the car do all the things once you've made the car. You can't make things happen until you've made the thing that they'll happen to. I'm guessing. But, yeah. So that story is fucking wild. Rockstar did confirm the footage is real. I haven't really digged into it that much, but it's 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 interesting. As someone who has seen games in like a few years before their released kind of state before, that footage is very representative, I would say, of most games at its point in development in terms of the very specific flavor of functional but kind of janky. Yeah, that's that's most video games for most of their life. The number, like, I've seen games that have had, like, Microsoft Sam placeholder voice acting in them. You know, that's how games are sometimes. Until, until you finish making them. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, it's just so fucking, like, that's, that's the thing. Like, you don't have to know about game development to figure out that a game that's years away from release with footage that was captured years ago is not going to look as good. That a work in progress is a work in progress. That being said, I will, I, I might, I might point people towards a video of my own that like might be interesting to watch. Um, like a month ago, I did a video called how a credible gaming leak can still get stuff wrong. And in that video, uh, I show about 10 minutes of footage of a version of Pokemon Sword about two and a half years before it released. And like, if you want to see like hands-on gameplay of like how different a game can functionally be while having the, the building blocks of what it's going to be, but not looking like a finished game at all. There's a lot of interesting footage in that video that I, I reckon people should go have a look at because amazingly that video has stayed up. I really didn't think it would. <laughs> yeah, what else have we got on the news? Oh, we got more stories about the Call of Duty exclusivity situation. Um, we might have had the quietest ever back down from a company on a topic. So we, we know how this was. Microsoft was like, hey, we've promised at least several more years of Call of Duty to PlayStation. And then PlayStation was like, they didn't offer us several. They offered us three and that's not good enough. We had a response from Microsoft to that. And the, I'm, I'm just going to read it because it's very short. A Microsoft spokesperson has addressed Sony's statement. It makes zero business sense for Microsoft to remove Call of Duty from PlayStation, given it's marking leading console position. So that sounds like a walk back, maybe. Possibly. Well, no, 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 no. It, it sounds it sounds like blowing smoke up Sony's ass. Yeah, it's not committing to keeping it around, but being like, we wouldn't we wouldn't take it away. That doesn't make sense. It is it is actually what they're doing with that statement is that they are trying to put Sony in a position of market leading power oh, over shit. themselves so that they don't look like they are so much of a trust issue. Oh, I hadn't thought about the fact that, yeah, for Microsoft to describe Sony as being in a market leading position is really interesting actually huh yeah they're downplaying the impact of this merger that's oh that's interesting so yeah that's microsoft's response to sony wanting more than three years of call of duty we've got other companies trying to muscle in and make profit out of the call of, of call of duty maybe going exclusive ea 
really thinks that it's got a chance to to make Battlefield replace Call of Duty as the top dog. It really thinks that this is its chance. Is it going to make a Call of Duty game? Nope, it's going to make Battlefield games. Oh. It, those have reviewed poorly pretty consistently for a while. So are they making a Call of Duty game and just calling it Battlefield? I mean, maybe. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> so here's the story. EA's Andrew Wilson... Um, has commented on the 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 situation uh, and described it as a tremendous opportunity for his company's uh, <laughs> for the for Battlefield as a brand. I mean, it could also be a tremendous opportunity for people who, you know, derive entertainment from Battlefield, continuing to be Battlefield. Yeah, every year. Yeah. So the the full quote is. In a world where there may be questions over uh, Call of Duty and what platforms that might be on or not be on, being platform agnostic and completely cross-platform with Battlefield, I think that's a tremendous opportunity. And I'm like, yeah, but you've got to make a Call of Duty to capitalise on that, though. <laughs> if you want to make a Call of Duty that's multi-platform, sure, maybe you're right, but you're making Battlefield, which isn't Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We also had, just to finish off for this week, we had a couple of stories about Twitch, because Twitch has been having been having a fucking time of it, largely centering around gambling streamers. So have you caught wind of any of this nonsense that's been going on? I heard that, I, I have heard through the grapevine that Twitch has taken some steps regarding what kinds of gambling quote-unquote related content it's going to allow on Twitch. Yeah. That's as far as I've gotten here. Okay. So the start of this was a particularly egregious example of gambling going really badly on their platform. There was a streamer who scammed about $300,000 out of high-profile streamers, each time coming up with excuses that were about, like, oh, I need to get a flight and blah 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 or relative in hospital things like that nope he was 300 grand in the hole in gambling debt gambling on twitch and was lying to prominent twitch streamers to get money to keep going with his gambling addiction so that's a problem and that led to a lot of high profile twitch streamers going hey maybe we should ban gambling and twitch because we should not be incentivizing people to make their career be contingent on them successfully gambling again and again in front of a crowd. Then that led into several other spiralling off stories. Um, I won't get too deep into them, but there is an article on The Verge called Streamer Involved in Twitch Gambling Saga, Now Embroiled in Sexual Assault Allegations. Because when one fucking can of worms gets opened, more of them get opened. This is a separate story involving... Um, someone else embroiled in gambling bullshit on Twitch who, it seems, made efforts to do an active cover-up of a sexual assault of someone. So that continued to go, hey, maybe we don't trust the shady gambling corner of Twitch. And Twitch's response to that has been not a ban of gambling on Twitch, a partial ban of gambling on Twitch, sort of. They have banned... I will read uh, the, the, the specific phrasing here. Gambling sites that aren't licensed in the US or other jurisdictions that provide sufficient consumer protections. Now, that doesn't sound like it w it's much, and it's not. A lot of gambling is still going to be allowed on Twitch. But it does ban 
several of the sites that currently are very popular with Twitch gamblers and that people gambling on Twitch have partnerships with, such as uh, Stake is apparently one of the very popular ones that a lot of people have lost a lot of money on. It sounds like this is really putting a, a bandage on a problem they're going to have to come back and deal with again later. They are not banning any gambling in the categories of sports betting, fantasy sports, or poker. You can still do those completely unregulated on Twitch. But enough people were like, oh, I got scammed out of money because someone had a gambling addiction, who were high profile enough that Twitch is having to start thinking a little bit about whether gambling and Twitch are a good fit for each other. So that's a whole messy story. I mean, it's it's not. None, it's not. Yeah. That, that It's bad. Yeah, it is. I do not deny that it's bad. It's bad. And I wish Twitch and YouTube weren't, like, I, I always hate think of the children type things, but like, I wish there were some better way to help contextualize these things for vulnerable communities when they're exposed to them, right? Yeah. Now, because I I don't have necessarily, outside of my general fundamental issues with capitalism and the manner in which these products prey upon people who have disabilities, if that's not your issue and you want to open packs of cards or whatever, fine. You know, fine, but it's clearly causing harm. It's and I don't know what we do. Yeah, and I don't know how far we go. It's a mess. It's a difficult situation, and I think there is no denying that being in front of an audience who is judging your success or failure is probably a recipe for an increased risk of problem gambling behavior. Yeah. I think that the dual the dual sides of it on Twitch are if you are winning and succeeding and payout after payout, it is encouraging people watching you to think that gambling might be a surefire easy way to get money and setting them up for a fall. Or if you are losing money and going in the hole and there's people watching, doubling down, chasing chasing your losses, both of them are ways that Twitch is particularly set up in a way that can exacerbate problem gambling stuff, which I don't know what the solution to that is, but I don't think ga banning some gambling sites but not others and being like, yep, that's the problem done, no. is a solution. No. It's them recognising there's a problem and trying to do the bare minimum to technically have addressed it. And to an extent, I... I get it. Yeah. Like, because this sort of it puts it's gonna exist yeah and there is until there is regulation that they could point to and say oh no this can't exist here for legal purposes i also think that they're in a strange position so aligning themselves with known entities and saying well you know these are all under some sort of regulatory scrutiny at least yeah there's something to fall back on there at least at least demonstrates some sense of responsibility for the danger of your platform, I guess? Yeah. 
it's it's something and it's worth you know it's it's worth discussing that this has happened even if i suspect this won't be the end of this particular story and it is certainly not the twitch bans all gambling that i've seen a few places sort of presented as yeah Last couple of very quick things, um, in a move that should surprise no one, uh, Call of Duty Warzone 2.0 uh, has butchered the Arabic language again, the way that video games always constantly do. They love doing that. Yeah. It's like a hobby. Yeah. It's, it's once again, rather than getting anyone in who speaks Arabic who can point out, like, hey, these are the problems with, with your in-game text, it seems like they've just gone to Google Translate and put in-game what Google Translate said... And the second that people who speak Arabic are reading it are going, oh, no, that's that's gibberish you've put there. So that that's there's not there's no more to that story. It's the thing that comes up every time that a video game tries to use that as a setting and fucks fucks it up constantly again and again. And the last one that like I don't want to linger on it too long, but just like. Just as we've been recording this, a report has gone up on Bloomberg about Twitch, about the fact that Twitch has a really big problem with child grooming and child abuse on Twitch, that the platform seems incapable of doing enough to prevent, largely involving the fact that there are a lot of children streaming on Twitch Mm. under the minimum age that people are supposed to be streaming on Twitch, and very demonstratively, there are adults who were aware of that. And Twitch is demonstratively not doing enough to fix it. And that, go read Bloomberg's whole report, but I started skimming it and it's way too much fucking read. It's like way too heavy a read for today. We give Twitch shit for like not doing enough about things. But this is one of those cases where like it, it can't be like, the usual case of like bad things happening and Twitch sitting on its fucking hands. Yeah. Like this is child grooming. Like the multi-billion dollar company running Twitch that basically runs capitalism. It's become so fucking influential and powerful, right? Really needs to get off its fucking ass on this one. Yeah. This is not one you can sit around on when it's, Oh, Hey, you, you've got young children with tens of thousands of adults, uh, Twitch followers who say nothing in chat but do watch the stream. You use 30 seconds of Yellow Brick Road and Twitch's like bots and shit are on you like that. They worked fucking hard to make sure that any quote unquote copyrighted material is scrubbed and, and replaced instantly. This is child grooming. Yeah. Do something. Yeah. I'm not going to dig into that report in full because I'm not going to try and dig into it live as it's gone up while we were recording and also because it just seems like it's going to be really fucking heavy reading, but go check out Bloomberg's reporting um, because, yeah, that's real fucking bad. There we go. Nice, nice depressing way to end Pogquisition. Woo! Yay! Yay! I need. I, I forgot to save a silly one for the end. I forgot to save something good and silly. Well, on the plus side, there's going to be a really good wrestling event this weekend. <gasps> there is going to be a really good wrestling event this weekend. Yeah, I I was a little bit quiet towards the end just because I've got like I'm I'm working around the clock on fucking admin shit. Yeah, not as hard as Fee. Jesus Christ, the amount of shit they've had to do. But yeah, like I'm doing a lot of talent uh, liaison at the moment, making sure everyone knows what's up. And then I've got to pay some stuff for insurance because 
If you're doing an event where people are, like, throwing themselves around and possibly, like, and, and getting involved in a tea party deathmatch, you want insurance. Just a little pro tip from me to you. Deathmatch equals insurance get. Um, so that's something to look forward to. That's a bit of optimism. Yeah. Um, but but the wait to the weekend is going to be excruciating. And I, I wonder, Laura, if you've got, like, any content they could while away the hours with. Well, you can find all my stuff at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere on the internet. If you happen to be listening to this when it goes up on Thursday, I will be at EGX in London on Friday, so feel free to say hi if you spot me around. I'll be checking out a bunch of games on the show floor. Then Saturday, I'm going to be at Spectrum Wrestling's Rejoice event. I'm going to be doing doing a pre-show from 6.30 till 7. Uh, and then I will be doing all of... I uh, will be doing the commentary throughout the, the evening keeping you up to date on who all the people are and why you should care about the characters and the stakes of the fights, get you up to speed on all of that. What about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can hang out with me live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. Oh, my cat, Tater, Potato Wand, Tater, as we call him. He's got an Instagram. That's One-Eyed Potato. And, uh... We tried dressing him up. <gasps> he didn't mind the shirt. He didn't mind the shirt. So there's going to be more shirts. Oh, we're going to get him such a little wardrobe. I'm so excited about it. Um, you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com, audiobooks at conradreads.com, and everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Why, it's James Stephanie Sterling. Hello, everyone. Yes, I don't know why I said it as if I was going to start the podcast. Hello, welcome to Podquisition, uh, a show that you could support on Patreon if you go to patreon.com slash gymquisition. Uh, that also supports the gymquisition. And it says nothing on the website about whether or not I'll suck your dick. I may have said that in a video, but... It's not legally binding. It's not in the terms and conditions. No, although, you know, if you give me money, you could legally bind me. I never said that on the site, though. Uh, I also stream um, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. I'm hoping to have internet back uh, in the next week, hopefully. Certainly by the 30th. That was the final postponement date they gave me. And then I'll be back. Um... But I will be streaming Saturday, or we will be streaming Spectrum Wrestling Saturday night at 7pm with a, well, pre-show 6.30pm UK. Um, and that will be for several hours of, of excellent wrestling, including some from yours truly. That's it. Yeah. Uh, if you've not checked out Vampire Survivors, uh, do keep an eye on news involving that uh, uh, because, you know, future updates will indeed include um, writing contributions from myself. I've got a lot of there's a lot of good um, story stuff sort of being added like law wise to it. Um, that perfectly is in keeping with the tone of the game. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's that. Other than that, we will see you next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.